Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. For this show, I'm playing a little bit of catch-up. There are two movies that I'm going to be reviewing that came out literally a few days ago, uh, or at least uh, September 23rd, 2022, and two others that came out the previous weekend, which was September 16th, 2022. Those other two movies I didn't get to review until this weekend, so that's me playing catch-up. But I'm going to start with the movie that is probably going to be the most talked about, particularly because it is undoubtedly the newest film, newest and biggest film of this past weekend. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Don't Worry Darling. This is the director, the second sophomore directorial effort of actress Olivia Wilde, who also co-stars in the movie, and it is based on an original concept um, with the screenplay and the story written by Katie, uh, well, the story is written by Carrie Van Dyke and Shane Van Dyke. Are they related? Maybe. Uh, that's really an uncommon last name. But anyway, the with a screenplay written by Katie Silverman. So this movie is not based on a book, although sometimes it does feel like it's inspired by a certain book. And it certainly is reminiscent as you're watching it of various films. I was reminded in particular of movies like Blue Velvet, The Truman Show, The Matrix, and that may more or less spoil part of the movie, but trust me, there is a twist here, but it's not a huge surprise what that twist is. But the movie Don't Worry Darling is about a 1950s housewife whose name is Alice Chambers, and she's played by Florence Pugh. And she lives in a tight-knit community along with her husband, Jack Chambers, who's played by Harry Styles, the singing sensation, who's been in a few movies here and there, but this is his highest profile acting role to date. Although, given how big that Harry Styles is in the music industry right now, he will undoubtedly have bigger movie roles to come. And based on his performance in this movie, he deserves those bigger movie roles. But anyway, so... Alice lives with her husband, Jack, in a utopian experimental community, and gradually she begins to worry that her glamorous company, that, excuse me, that his glamorous company, company for, for which he works, could be hiding disturbing secrets. And the movie is very glossy and very bright, and it also shows Alice at first, you know, doing the things that you would expect 1950s housewives to do. She's not too subservient to her husband, but they have a great relationship and a very active sex life, which is probably very un-1950s. I guess if you judge the 1950s on what you see on Nick at Night on shows like Leave it to Beaver, for example. But as she is going about her daily routine, doing chores around the house, and then getting together with the other housewives in this tight-knit community to do some ballet dancing, she begins to notice some strange activity, especially with her former friend and next-door neighbor, Margaret, who's one of the only black people, let alone black women, who live in this tight-knit community, who's played by Kiki Lane. And Kiki Lane does not have very much screen time, but what screen time she has... She owns, and she is certainly an unforgettable character. But as the movie is beginning, you see Alice go about her day-to-day routine, and you see things primarily from her perspective. Her husband, Jack, as well as all the other husbands in this community go off to work in their fancy 1950s cars, but you don't exactly know what their job is, and you also really don't know where they're going and what they're doing. 
But seeing Alice go about her day-to-day routine, you become more intently curious and you kind of know as the movie progresses that something is wrong, especially when you meet the leader of this community, who's a very charismatic man by the name of Frank, who's played by Chris Pine, as well as his wife, Sherry, who is equally as charismatic, but maybe a little bit more strange. And she's played by Gemma Chan and At first, you don't want to believe that this 1950s community is as sketchy as it is, but eventually Alice notices more and more strange things that happen outside of their community. And they presumably live in California. And you learn that Frank, Chris Chris Pine's character, was instrumental in getting this community together seemingly in the middle of nowhere. But what lies outside the community is probably the biggest twist of all. And I'm not going to reveal to you what that twist is because the twist is multi-layered based on not just time and place, but also previous lives and the personalities of those who live in this community. And while there were some twists to this movie that I got almost immediately after this movie began, I thought actually the twists were quite valid and they weren't contrived at all, especially compared to other movies who tried to pull off the same twists and ended up going in a really dark and not, not just dark, but also very contrived, um, narrative. One of the movies that especially comes to mind is the movie Serenity, but the, the point of this movie, don't worry, worry, darling, very similar to the movies I mentioned, like the Truman show or the matrix and others is that the, the world in which these characters inhabit seems perfect, but there's a lot going underneath the surface of which they are not initially aware. And it turns out very similar to other films as well. The crazy people, the ones who don't quite assimilate are probably not the crazy ones either. But I, even though I certainly knew where that narrative was going based on other movies I've seen, not just the ones that I mentioned, but other ones in that realm as well, I loved how the movie was executed. And once the full twist revealed itself, I loved how it resolved itself as well. And Florence Pugh made a great lead in this film. And I was more drawn to her character in this film than I was to her role in Midsummer, which was undoubtedly her break her breakout role. That was the the movie that came out in 2019 that was directed by Ari Aster, which wasn't nearly as good as hereditary, but it was still a, a serviceable film, especially since Ari Aster made such a bang in his big screen feature film debut. But Florence Pugh and Harry Styles had amazing chemistry together from the beginning up until you know, the end when their relationship begins to really reveal its cracks. And the movie also made me wonder what Chris Pine's character, as well as Gemma Chan's character, what their motivations were and why they created the community that they did. So one of the biggest spoilers that I will give you is that things are not exactly what they seem. But you can probably figure that out from the very beginning. But don't worry, darling, nonetheless, gets my rating of a knockout. You may be able to identify some of the twists, but not all of them. And director Olivia Wilde does a really great job in this film in a way that, uh, as a director, I hadn't seen very many other actors turned directors be able to do. And Olivia Wilde already had an auspicious directorial debut three years ago with Booksmart. But Don't Worry Darling surpasses Booksmart in quality. And that's saying a lot because Booksmart was a very good film. But Don't Worry Darling is very tight-knit, but it also increases the feelings of paranoia and other such feelings. And I really got behind this movie. I loved the special effects once the movie 
began to inch its way towards that twist. And I love the performances of everyone, but most especially Florence Pugh. And I wouldn't be surprised to see her nominated for Best Actress later. In fact, I'd be disappointed if she wasn't. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is The Woman King. And The Woman King is a historical epic that is not exactly based on a true story, but it is inspired by actual events. Specifically, it is a movie about the Agoji tribe, which is an all-female, or which was an all-female warrior unit that protected the West African kingdom of Dahomey during the 17th to 19th century. And this is where I really had to do my research beyond what I saw in the film, but the kingdom of Dahomey was a West African kingdom located within present-day Benin, which, for those of you who don't really know your geography, is a very small country located in West Africa where... Unfortunately, there were some European and American settlers who took in slaves from that country, but the kingdom existed from approximately 1600 until 1904. And I won't get too far into the history here, but amazingly enough, this is a movie that was not based on a book. Although, as I said, it was inspired by actual events. Interestingly enough, the story behind this movie, the story and the screenplay written by people. I did not expect to write this film, particularly the story was written by Maria Bello, who is a white actress. And I would not have expected her to write a movie about people in West Africa, especially around 1823. When this movie takes place, the screenplay was written by Dana Stevens, who also contributed to the, um, uh, story and she's also white. So I was, I was very, um, intrigued by that, but not against it at all. The director of the movie is Gina Prince Bythewood, who is African American. And she has directed such films as love and basketball, the secret life of bees, and a movie that came out on Netflix, uh, during the pandemic, which was called The Old Guard, which I did not actually get to see. But she has been writing and directing for quite some time. But The Woman King may be her best movie. And that probably gives away exactly what I thought about the, the movie, but I'm just going to go along with it because there's a lot to talk about here. So Viola Davis plays the leader of the Agoji tribe, and her name is... Naniska. Yeah, there are some um, unusual African names here. Um, so I, I'm going to try to pronounce them without tripping over my words. But Viola Davis owns this film. And I can't exactly say that this is her best performance, especially after movies like Doubt, The Help, and the movie for which she won an Academy Award, Fences. But it's up there. Um, and she certainly owns this film and earns the title of the woman King, which is a bit of an oxymoron, but I guess when people are open to swapping gender roles, I guess anything goes here, but she plays general Naniska, who is leader of the, uh, Ajobi tribe. And she is, one of her tasks is to liberate Dahomean women who were abducted by slaver, uh, slavers from the Oyo Empire who take, take up territory here in what is now known as modern-day Benin. And they're played by such actors as Hero Fines Tiffin and Jimmy Odukoya, who are either white or they are of mixed race, but are probably based on people who actually lived. 
And Naniska takes her orders from King Gezo, who's played in this movie by John Boyega, who turns in another great performance after having been in the movie Breaking, which opened a little while ago in independent theaters, but is now actually, because of the hype it's received, opening up in theaters nationwide. And it will no doubt, if you're still reticent to go out to theaters, it will be coming to streaming sooner or later. But... This movie deals with not only the subject of slavery and how that's tearing apart civilizations within Africa, especially West Africa, but it also deals with Naniska's quest to protect not only her uh, Ajobi army, for lack of a better word, but also the kingdom of Dahomey, which she represents. All the while, she is mentoring a lot of the fellow members of her tribe, including a young girl named Nawi, who's played by Thuso Midebu, Mibedu, excuse me. Again, I'm tripping over some of these words. But there are some fantastic supporting performances in this, in this movie by just about everybody. But Viola Davis is the standout of this movie, and she anchors the movie very well. Some people have asked me when I've told them that I was reviewing The Woman King if this movie came out to promote Viola Davis's book that just um, was th- that just hit bookshelves and also websites like Amazon. And I don't think that it necessarily was. I think it came out to um, further enhance Viola Davis's career, just like any movie that stars her as well as any other actress would. But it wouldn't hurt book sales in that regard. But again, I know about movies in terms of quality. I don't exactly know about the politics of it or, you know, the marketing or any kind of ploy behind such marketing. But if it helps book sales, then all the power to Viola Davis as well as the people who made this movie. But the movie not only tells a great story in terms of its narrative as well as its characterization. It also has some amazing choreography and battle scenes, which were mesmerizing. And I don't think, although don't quote me on this, that the um, movie was aided in any way, shape or form by computer technology. But if it was, it was very well woven into the movie itself. And I love just about everything about the film, not only the acting, but the characterization, the set design, the choreography, the music by Terrence Blanchard, which is why it's no surprise here. The Woman King gets my rating of a knockout, and it's probably one of those films that I will see twice in theaters or once again. And I'll probably bring my girlfriend along with me because she and I love going to the movies together. And I know she will especially love this film. And it very much like Black Panther, although not based on a previous copyrighted property, I think The Woman King is one of those films that if it was released any other time before the pandemic, this would be a movie like Black Panther that would probably bring a lot of people to together based on this strong narrative as well as all the other high quality things to watch in this film and it is undoubtedly Gina Price Bythewood's best movie which she has directed to date and I can't exactly say if it's one of Viola Davis's best performances but it is most certainly up there Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is See How They Run, which is very much a whodunit, but with a bit of a comedic twist. And it's the kind of movie we've seen before, not just 
a whodunit, but also one that kind of turns the whodunit on its head, very similar to the movie Murder by Death, which was Peter Sellers' last great film, and it also included some surprising appearances by the likes of Truman Capote, and it was also written by Neil Simon. Um, That's probably one of my favorite whodunit comedies, but you can also include the movie Clue, which came out in the late 80s as opposed to Murder by Death, which came out in the late 70s. But in any event, this is actually the feature film directorial debut of Tom George, who has directed a bunch of things for the BBC, as well as some TV specials and music videos, as well as an award show. But this is his debut as a director. And while it might seem like See How They Run was written by Agatha Christie, it definitely gets its inspiration by from Agatha Christie, but it was actually written for the screen by Mark Chappelle. And Mark Chappelle has had extensive experience as a writer, but very much like Tom George, he has written primarily for TV, and this is his debut as a writer as well. And despite these two making their feature film debut, they've managed to get together an impressive roster of all-star talent. The movie takes place in the West End of 1950s London, and plans for a movie version of a smash hit play come to an abrupt halt after a pivotal member of the crew is murdered. And one of my biggest reluctances as a critic is to tell you who gets murdered. Um, because it happens in the very beginning of the film and it is a shocking murder because it certainly wasn't the character that I would have expected to get murdered. And maybe that would (laughs) spoil some things for you. But let me just say that there is someone you get to know very well in the beginning of the movie and you actually begin to like the character as well, but I cannot tell you who the character is or who plays this character. I'm not even going to tell you what gender this character is, and I really, really want to, but I can't. But in any event, it becomes a whodunit, sort of um, a play within a play, because one of the people who gets murdered, or one of the people who does the murder, is actually a member of this play within the movie. And this brings about the investigative talents of Inspector Stoppard, who is a West London detective who's played by Sam Rockwell, who is not British. And lo and behold, he does a terrible British accent. Although unlike Kevin Costner and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Sam Rockwell is actually trying to do a British accent, but there may have been moments here where he forgot that he was supposed to play a Brit. And he is joined by somebody who is actually working at the play when it was debuting at the West End Theater in London, but was not a part of the play herself. And her name is Constable Stalker, and she's played by Saoirse Ronan. So it's Sam Rockwell and Saoirse Ronan coming together to solve the mystery of who killed the certain person in this movie, uh, rather in this play within this movie. And as is typical of whodunits, Everyone, except maybe the investigators, are a suspect. And I will say that this might have woven in some historical fact, but it's largely historical fiction, because one of the stars of the play within this movie is Richard Attenborough, who would later go on to win an Academy Award for Best Director for directing Gandhi, which happens to be celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. Very much like me, great things are turning 40 this year. The movie Gandhi, the movie E.T., Michael Jackson's Thriller. Um, (laughs) I could go on, but I really have to do my research. But maybe I'll save that for the show I do after my 40th birthday. But, of course, Richard Attenborough is dead. But here he's playing this movie by Harris Dickinson. And I could go on about other actors who are in this movie as well. There are some that are well-known, like Ruth Wilson, Adrian Brody, David Oyelowo. And there are others who are not quite as well-known, like Maggie McCarthy, Harris Dickerson, Dickinson, as I said, uh, Oliver Jackson and others, but 
they actually, I think, knocked the dust out of um, the Agatha Christie-like whodunit. And by the way, the play within this movie is based on a book written by Agatha Christie, so no doubt it's inspired by Agatha Christie and not ashamed to admit it. It is a movie that's very fun to watch, but I think one of the things that kind of drew the movie back for me was Sam Rockwell, who is who is an actor that I love, but he was miscast in this role as Inspector uh, Stoppard. And I don't know why... Th- th- the casting director didn't choose an actual British person like Kenneth Branagh or Jude Law to play a British person in this movie. And I think it added a little bit of unnecessary hamminess to this film. But I did like it, which is why See How They Run gets my rating of a high checkout. The only reason I'm not giving it a knockout is because of Sam Rockwell being miscast. And you really can't miscast the lead in a movie like this. But he did work decently alongside Saoirse Ronan, but it makes me kind of wonder why Saoirse Ronan wasn't the only investigator in this movie and why they had to incorporate that experienced investigator with a novice officer, which we've seen in countless other buddy cop movies before. Why couldn't it have just been a beginning detective trying to solve this whodunit and making rookie mistakes? Why does it have to be, you know, a buddy comedy mixed in with a detective who actually knows what he or she is doing? So I like Sam Rockwell still, This wasn't the right movie for him, which is why I still recommend See How They Run because I think it's a fun whodunit, but it is, it does have that one evident flaw that prevents me from calling it one of the potentially best movies of the year. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And before I get into my next review, let me just say that Netflix is stepping up its game in terms of quality content. And I think it it received a bit of a backlash a little while ago when a lot of people were canceling their Netflix subscriptions. And I didn't go along with the tide. I subscribe to a lot of subscription uh, streaming services, that is. And Netflix is one of them. It was the first, and during the bulk of 2020, it was the only service to which I subscribed and where I got a bulk of my movies. I haven't given up on it, and I'm glad I didn't because... There is one limited miniseries that I'm watching right now that I'm not going to review for you for this show because I'm six episodes into it and there are 10 episodes total. The miniseries is called Dahmer and it is very intriguing, not to mention of high cinematic quality, but I'm not going to review it for you now because I haven't finished watching it. But here's a movie I have finished watching. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is a Netflix original that is called Lou, L-O-U. And the titular Lou in this movie is played by Allison Janney in one of her only starring roles in a film. But since she won an Academy Award for I, Tanya, her acting roles, especially in movies, have gotten more high caliber. And good for her because she's been in movies for and plays for going on 40 years, but here she plays a loner who pl- who lives in San Juan, Puerto Rico in 1987. And in San Juan, there is a storm that's raging and a young girl is kidnapped. 
Her mother, who's played by Journey Smollett, whose name, whose character's name is Hannah, teams up with the mysterious Lou next door to pursue the kidnapper. And it's a journey that tests their limits and exposes shocking secrets from their past. So this is a movie that is chock full of twists, very similar to two other movies that I reviewed for you for this show so far. Don't worry, darling, and see how they run. But in those movies, you kind of know the twists are coming. In the movie Lou, you don't really see those twists coming, and they're all the more refreshing because of it. So... Alice and Janney, very much like Viola Davis in The Woman King, is not only a great lead in this film, she also gets dirty and she gets gritty. And Journey Smollett, along with her, also gets an equal amount of grittiness and dirtiness to her as well. They're trying to survive the storm while Hannah... Journey Smollett's character is on the search for her young daughter, V, who's played by Ridley Asha Bateman, who is kidnapped, sort of, by her biological father, Philip, who's played by Logan Marshall Green. And by the way, that's not spoiling anything. This happens in the first 20 minutes or so of this film. But why does Philip want to take his daughter away from her mother? I don't exactly, or I can't exactly tell you, but the movie explains. And also, why is it that Lou, Allison Janney's character, is hiding out in the San Juan wilderness and only going into town to get supplies that she needs? And what made her as gritty and as stubborn as she is right now? Again, That's part of the fabric of the twist of this movie, but I won't give that away. It is a great on-location shoot, though, and once you learn a lot more about these characters, you begin rooting for them quite a bit. Allison Janney adds this to an impressive repertoire of other films in which she's acted in large and small roles. Journey Smollett has been acting literally since she was a child, and she has come a very long way from her days acting on Full House. And this is probably her best role to date, and that is certainly saying a lot, because I don't think I've seen a really bad movie with Journey Smollett in it yet. Maybe she's been in some bad movies, but she's usually been the stronger link in an otherwise weak chain. But she acts very well alongside Alice and Janney in this movie, and the on-location shoot is amazing. I actually had a very hard time um, realizing that this was San Juan, Puerto Rico. I'm not sure if it was actually filmed in San Juan or why it actually takes place in there, and there are very few uh, Latino characters, but once the movie gets going, I didn't exactly care. Uh, It just really told a great story. The movie is directed by Anna Forster and written by Maggie Cohen and Jack Stanley. This is neither based on a true story nor based on any other kind of medium like a book, for example. But why it takes place in 1987, you don't exactly know, but my assumption is that it wouldn't take it wouldn't be as effective modern day because of cell phones and tracking devices and other preparations that people can make on a technological scale that prepares them for such storms but from the 1990s and back since we didn't have that sort of cell phone technology or that kind of technology that we have present day, it's very believable that more people would be left to their own devices when the power lines go down. I know I certainly was in that kind of circumstance growing up in rural Maine sometimes, not all the time, but undoubtedly I knew some people like in the movie, in in this movie, Lou, that I'm reviewing. And Lou, in case you didn't realize it, gets my rating of a knockout. I think it tells an amazing survivor story and it is jam-packed with plenty of twists, not only in the narrative itself, but also in a lot of the characters as you get to know them. There are very interesting links that are formed between a lot of these characters, and it was very hard to stop watching this movie. I can't say that I will see this again, but I was very intrigued by 
the movie that I just saw. And not only is it another amazing performance by Allison Janney, it's also probably more of a breakout role for Journey Smollett, who has been acting for quite some time, but this is undoubtedly her best role to date. back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into my final segment, which is what's coming up next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released in theaters and on streaming, or both, for the week of September 25th through September 30th, 2022. It is amazing. We are almost three quarters of the way through 2022, which means the fourth quarter is coming up very soon. Uh, The holiday season, that is. But it's interesting because the release calendar here has a number of films that are coming out in uh, theaters. On September 27th, which is a Tuesday... Um, The movie Anvil, the story of Anvil, which came out in 2008, is being re-released into some theaters for some reason. I don't exactly know why. If you want to see this film, I do recommend it, but I don't necessarily recommend you go to theaters to see it. You can find it somewhere on streaming, or you can rent the DVD on dvd.com, which is a Netflix service. (laughs) If you are still renting DVDs that way. And, and interestingly enough, I do because not every movie is available on streaming and I still haven't given up on DVDs, Blu-rays or 4k for, for that matter. But Anvil is a movie I recommend, but I don't necessarily recommend you see it in theaters. So if you don't see it come out in the theater near you, don't be disappointed. There are other ways to see it. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on Tuesday, September 27th is a movie that is called 10 Tricks. And this is a film that is uh, a new film uh, made in 2022. And it's about a madam at a brothel who one night makes a plan to get pregnant while a magician working across the street makes a drastic move to change his life. I don't know what to make of this. (laughs) (laughs) This description, it sounds intriguing. The movie stars some familiar faces, but no A-listers. The movie stars Leah Thompson, Sam Hennings, Raymond Cruz, Richard Gleason, and Damien Leake, amongst other people. So some familiar names here and there. I can't guarantee that I'm going to see that film, but I'll look out for it. On Wednesday, September 28th, a movie that is a subject to being released in theaters that is new is a movie that's called after sun after sun is about a woman by the name of Sophie who reflects on the shared joy and private melancholy of a holiday. She took with her father 20 years earlier memories real and imagined fill the gaps between as she tries to reconcile the father. She knew with the man. She didn't sounds like a pretty heavy drama. And this movie looks like it is a foreign film, but it's directed by Charlotte Wells, whose name definitely does not sound foreign. Um, She sounds like she's an American, but I can't exactly say that I'm familiar with her previous work. But After Sun is a movie that's probably going to come out in an independent theater near you. But if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Now for the movies that are subject to being released on September 30th. And these are movies for the most part that I will likely see. Obviously not all of them, but many of them. One movie that I will see is a movie that's called smile. And I have not seen any previews for this movie because I actively avoid previews of any and all kinds. However, this movie, and I've told my girlfriend this, this is one of those films that I've been so eager to look up on YouTube because 
I am intrigued by it, by the <clears throat> advertising campaign of it so far. Just the the posters that I've seen in theaters when I'm there seeing a movie on Facebook or IMDb or other sites that I visit because anytime I see the woman who is smiling on this poster, there's a jolt that goes through my heart because you don't have to tell me that smiles can be creepy. They most certainly can, which is why to me, clowns are scary. And also other media like the Soundgarden music video, Black Hole Sun, which I saw once when I was 12, once when I was 13, and I haven't seen it again in its entirety since. But rest assured, some of the people in that music video still give me nightmares. Truthfully, I wake up in the middle of the night because I remember one of the faces in that music video. And, well, I could go on and on about that music video, but in any event... Smile is a movie that is written by and directed by Parker Finn, and it's about a woman who's a doctor whose name is Dr. Rose Carter, who, after witnessing a bizarre traumatic incident involving a patient, she starts experiencing frightening occurrences that she can't explain. Rose must confront her troubling past in order to survive and escape her horrifying new reality, which apparently involves some people... smiling at her. So the movie has some familiar faces in it. The part of Dr. Rose Cotter is played by Sosie Bacon, who I'm not too familiar with, but I do know some of the other actors like Jesse T. Usher, Kyle Gallner, Cal Penn, Judy Reyes, and my God, it's seeing the poster of this film is giving me the creeps already, but I will see this film Hopefully I'll be able to sleep after I come home from the movie theaters after seeing it. But seeing this movie during the daytime, which I would strongly prefer to do with scary movies, is not an option for me because of my schedule. But I will see Smile, and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. Another movie that is more lighthearted that I am going to see in theaters is a movie that's called Bros. And this is a movie that is directed by Nicholas Stoller, who directed such movies as Forgetting Sarah Marshall and The Muppets, which is one of the best Muppet movies ever, by the way. He is uh, directing a film that is not only a romantic comedy, but it's a romantic comedy about gay men. It's not the first romantic comedy about gay men ever made, but it's probably the most high profile. I've seen plenty of other comedies about gay men like Kiss Me Guido or the broken hearts club, but this movie was co-written by Nicholas Stoller and Billy Eichner, who made a name for himself on the IFC show, Billy on the street. And he plays the lead in this movie. And the movie involves his character, Bobby Lieber and his relationship with another man by the name of Aaron Shepard, who's played by Luke McFarlane. And there are two men with commitment problems who attempt a relationship. And Billy Eichner has been going on talk shows calling this movie the first gay romantic comedy. It isn't, but as I said, it's probably going to be the one that is going to drive the most people into theaters. And one reporter asked why a movie like this hadn't been made previously. And Billy Eichner replied largely because of homophobia, which I think he's absolutely right. People tend to forget how homophobic the world was up until maybe about 10 years ago. And undoubtedly there's homophobia that still exists in this world, but gay people have come a long way, especially in America over the last 50 years or so. They went from being the most hated minority to having so many constitutional rights advances come their way. And that's saying a lot considering that we once had a president who was a Republican who tried to make a constitutional amendment banning gay marriage. Thank God he failed. But Bros is a movie that I will see, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on September 30th is a movie that's called Vesper. This is a science fiction film 
that is about the collapse of the Earth's ecosystem, and it involves a young 13-year-old girl by the name of Vesper who struggles to survive with her paralyzed father and meets a woman with a secret who will force her to use her wits, strengths, and biohacking abilities to fight for a possibility of having a future. This movie sounds dynamite. It it sounds very high concept. It looks very high budget. And it really says something how a low-budget horror film and a moderately budgeted gay romantic comedy have kind of um, overstepped this film in terms of its marketing campaign. But at the same time, there are next to no famous people in this film. So it's kind of easy to see why this film would be overlooked. The movie stars Rafaela Chapman as the titular Vesper. It also co-stars Eddie Marson, Rosie McEwen, and Richard Brake, amongst other people. This it looks like an incredible film, but I don't know if I'm going to see this on next week's show. If I do, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Another film that is subject to being released in theaters on September 30th is a movie that's called Dead for a Dollar. This is a thriller and a western about a famed bounty hunter who runs into his sworn enemy, a professional gambler and outlaw that he had sent to prison years before. The movie stars Richard Brosnahan, Willem Dafoe, Christoph Waltz, Benjamin Bratt, and several other noteworthy actors. This is a movie that will probably bomb because Westerns have not been doing particularly well at the box office over the last 40 years or so, but with actors like Christoph Waltz in it, it looks like it could pack a punch. I don't know if this is a movie that's going to be coming out in the theater near me, but if it does, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've given you a spoken word preview of a vast majority of the big films that are coming out in theaters or are subject to being released in theaters for the week of September 26th through September 30th, 2022, it's now time for me to get into the movies that are subject to being released on streaming as many as I can get to. And truth be told, especially since we're getting into the fourth quarter and the holidays, There are a lot of big films that are coming out, and already there are some Halloween films that you will not want to miss. Maybe I won't be reviewing some of these films for next week's show, but rest assured, I will eventually. So there are some big films, again, not necessarily Halloween-related, but there are some noteworthy movies that are going to be coming out um, on streaming, and I'm going to begin with Netflix. For example... There's a movie that's coming out on October, excuse me, September 26th, which is called A Trip to Infinity. This is a documentary, and it's going to be released, as I said, on Monday, uh, September 26th, and it is a film that I just looked up right now, uh, truth be told. It, It deals with the topic of infinity. Does infinity exist? Can we experience the infinite in an animated film, a documentary, you know, that uses animation that create that's created by artists from 10 countries. The world's most cutting edge scientists and mathematicians go in search of the infinite and its mind bending implications for the universe. This sounds a lot like a documentary that came out about 15 years ago. That was called what the bleep do we know? A Trip Down the Rabbit Hole, which I hadn't seen, but I know it by reputation. So A Trip to Infinity may be a film that I see on Netflix, but I don't exactly count on it because I don't know if I will see it. But I'll make an effort to try to see it for next week's show. But rest assured, there are other movies that are going to be appearing on Netflix that will uh, probably 
be uh, that that would probably take up more of my mental space. For example, there's a movie that is uh, premiering on Netflix or appearing on Netflix, I should say. It's not a Netflix original. This is a film that's called Elsium. It's directed by Neil Blomkamp, who directed the Academy Award nominated District 9. This is a film I remember coming out in theaters, but I never got to see it. But it takes place in the year 2154, and it's about a man who visits the very wealthy man-made space station that on which wealthy people live while the rest of the population resides on a ruined earth. It's science fiction now, but who knows that it may not be 150 years from now, but fortunately I won't be alive to see it. So a man played by Matt Damon takes on a mission that could bring equality to the polarized worlds. This is not a movie that I'll see for next week's show, but if you're interested in seeing it on Netflix, it will make an appearance on the platform on Tuesday, September 22nd. Another film that is brand new to this year, but is not a Netflix original, is going to also be making an appearance on Netflix on Tuesday, September 27th. And this is a movie that I am dying to see. It is The Monsters, the movie. It is directed by... Rob Zombie, and for those of you who remember uh, the show either from growing up in the 1960s or watching it on Nick at Night like I did, it follows a family of monsters who moves from Transylvania to, to an American suburb. And Rob Zombie has dabbled in comedy before, and a lot of his horror films certainly have comedic moments, but this is his first full-on comedy, and I believe... It's the first movie he has directed that's based on a previous property. And I am very intrigued to see this film. The people who play the Munsters are not exactly well known. For example, the actor who's playing Herman Munster is a guy who's been in several other Rob Zombie films, whose name is Jeff Daniel Phillips. Lily Munster is played by Rob Zombie's wife, Sherry Moon Zombie who is a very attractive woman, by the way. Um, But I have a girlfriend, so I will move on. And I'm trying to check out the other people in this film as well, Uh, particularly the people who play, for example, Grandpa Munster or um, the the youngest son, Edmund Munster. But I, I don't have that information for you right now. But The Monsters is a film that I, A, will consider a brand new film because I don't think it's been released into theaters or on platforms before appearing on Netflix. But it's also not a Netflix original for some reason, or at least it's not according to my book. But The Monsters I will see, and I will let you know what I think on next week's show. But I am going to get to another film that's going to be appearing on Disney+. And that movie is, on September 30th, Hocus Pocus 2. Uh, It really needs no introduction if you know the 1993 original film, but unlike the 1993 film, it's a Halloween film that will actually be appearing around Halloween. The original Hocus Pocus came out in late July during the Disney Renaissance and in a really dumb move by Disney, especially given their Renaissance period, the movie, because of when it came out during the summer, was a box office flop. But when it came out on video and people started watching it around Halloween, lo and behold, it developed a following. But Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Kathy Najimy are all going to reprise their roles as the Sanderson sisters. This is a movie that I will see, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.